Wendy Conquest, and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. I'm here with Tim Stein, Dan Drake, and Jeannie Batoni. And today we're going to be talking about autism and neurodiversity. And our guest is Candice Christiansen. And I'm really excited to have her uh, with us today because um, I really need to have more information and education on this topic. Um, in my practice, I'm seeing more and more people that, uh, that uh, autism or neurodiversity in a way that is um, not helping their relationships uh, 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 appear, appearing. And so I have so many questions for Candace, but how are you all today? Good, good, good. I'm excited for Candace. She's been the go-to woman. You know, if there's a question about autism or spectrum, neurodiversity and, and these terms. And so I'm really looking forward to her helping parse out the different definitions, mm -hmm. but I'm so thrilled to have her. Yeah, me too. I, I actually, I don't know if you guys knew it, 20 years ago, I worked with kids with kids and young adults with autism. And at that time we separated autism and Asperger's, mm -hmm. but that was so long ago. And I know we've done so, so much has changed over the, the years. So I'm actually really curious to hear her thoughts and you know the wealth of wisdom that she's going to bring. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm, I, I am uh, really looking forward to this conversation. For me, uh, the few clients that I've had that have come in, one of the the, the pieces that comes in is sort of like this unconscious resistance that that they bring into the work. Uh, somebody shared with me recently that there's a term called pathologic demand avoidance, and mm -hmm. uh, how that shows up in in working with neurodiverse clients. Or, or autistic clients and uh, what what we can do to sort of help them sort of navigate through that. I'm, I'm really curious if uh, what, what Candace has to say about that. I'm really thrilled to have her on, on, the, on the show today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. So are we ready to invite her in? Bring her in. Let's right. go. Come on, Candace. Hi, Candace. Hi, Hi everybody. Hi. Hello Welcome, there. Candace. Welcome. Welcome. Yes. You know, I was, as we were just talking, I was thinking, how the, and sometimes it's undiagnosed, but how being on the spectrum or autism, and I do want to talk terms, impacts the relationship and the communication and the connections. But right. before we go there, I guess let's talk terms. Right. Yeah. So Candace, I would love for you to give definitions of, of what autism is, what neurodiversity is, um, is Asperger's still in the general vernacular or not? Um, so just educate us, please. Uh, well, first, I love being on here. And I love I just you all are awesome, amazing in our field. So thank you for having me on. Um, I'm really excited about this topic, because number one, I am autistic. And I use identity first language, which is saying I am autistic instead of I have autism. Mm. That would be person first language. Mm. And um so I'll speak to that as well. We might have to circle back because I might forget. Um, so autism is a neurological difference. I don't like to say autism spectrum disorder. I don't use the term disorder because I don't believe that neurological differences are actual disorders. So I, I think it's mistermed. Um, so it's a neurological difference and it's characterized by a variety of things that if you look in the DSM, it's quite limited in terms of the traits. 
um, in the DSM, it would say like there's social communication or issues with social communication, missing social cues. It's very deficit based, um, rigidity, um, repetitive behaviors, uh, and cr a chronic pattern of such, if you will. Um, the medical and psychological models are very, very deficit-based, and, and I like to focus on diversity-based. I'm a big part of our neurodiversity movement. I've met a lot of people in the neurodiversity movement that, like me, are autistic, and so we're looking at autism more as a, like I said, from what it is. It's, it, it was Neurodiversity was coined by Judy Singer in the early 90s, and when she was really looking at you know, who is this group of people that don't fit into mental illness or whatever, you know, other kind of category the medical and psychological model wants to push those people into. And so she termed neurodiversity, which basically says that all of us on this call have a neurodiverse brain. You might all have what's termed a neurotypical brain. I put it in quotes because I, I don't believe we actually, anyone has a typical brain anymore. I think mm -hmm. everybody is impacted. Um, and if you're with me, who is autistic and also self-diagnosed ADHD, then we're a neurodiverse group. And, and there are many types of neurodivergence, which again means neurological differences. And there are genetic neuro types of neurodifferences. Um, I you're going to hear me say neurodifference, neurodistinct, neurodivergence. I like to mix it up. I, I I like to mix it up because I really believe that there's this kind of this way that the world likes to look at anyone that that is different, really from a deficit perspective. So we're different. We're not deficient. And yeah, so that's a long way, that's a long way to answer the question of what, Candace, what is autism? Autism doesn't look a certain way. You might look at me and say, well, Candace, you don't look autistic. I've, I've heard it all. You give eye contact, you're married. You're so, you're too social to be yeah. autistic. You're not but sitting the, in the corner doing self-stimulation with your hands. Yes, you know? yeah. But the reality is, is autism actually doesn't look a certain way. And a lot of the historical research on autism is based on white boys. Mm -hmm. So, so for those of us that are non-binary, trans, um, female, you know, I fit into the female identified category, you know, we don't really fit into what historically research has said is autism. So, you know, sleep, sleep issues, those of us that are autistic have sleep issues, we mm -hmm. have serious sensory issues. So I have this instead of mints by my the chair where my client sits these are stim toys these are rings they're my new favorite because we're sensory sensitive we're very very sensitive to our environment sight sound smell sensations even being on today all having all of you here so there's just a lot of stimulation for me and navigating okay who do I look at and what do I do so I don't I don't actually look at you because it'll throw me into a panic attack but that, uh, that is also characteristic of someone who's autistic, right? I'm actually a really good communicator. A lot of autistic adults who have learned to mask or camouflage to fit in with the quote norm, the neuro majority, we actually are really good at communicating in a world that is pretty vague 
and where there's a lot, a lot left, you know, to desire in terms of how do we communicate? So, so there's just a lot of stereotypes about autism. And I think what I want to do today with all of you who are so well-intended and, and such amazing clinicians is really try and break some of the stereotypes in the therapy room about what your clients, what they're, what they're doing and and have you come from more of a compassionate, curious space? I love when Tim said, I'm curious, instead of looking at it through a deficit lens, because there's a lot of really beautiful qualities about autism that I think we miss when we only focus on deficits. So that's a long-winded answer. No, that's, <laughs> yeah, a, no, that's a great answer. You did okay. that. Wonderful. So Candace, one of the pieces is, um, so, so one of the, the, what's coming up in my practice is couples who are, um, so what I find too is um, the, my clients who have identified as uh, on the spectrum, or we have we have suspicions. And one of the pieces that I've been frustrated with is there doesn't seem to be an assessment. And for our listeners, uh, Candace referred to the DSM. That is a manual that we basically uh, uh, go to in psychotherapy to um, to diagnose to diagnose everything uh, that we treat. Um, so anxiety disorder, um, uh, schizophrenia, all these different types of mental health disorders are all in this manual. So that was the manual that Candace was referring to when she was saying, how is autism um, assessed or diagnosed? Um, so one of the challenges that I've had is, first of all, well, how do we say, uh, does this person have challenges uh, around relationships? Um, so that, so how do we do that? And then I guess the next piece is if someone starts identifying as, as uh, being neurodiverse to the point where they have challenges in with intimacy and relationships, what is the expectation? What, what can a partner expect or what can they expect or... Uh, what I've heard is the usual um, treatment, quote unquote, for this is skills building. Um, I have yet to refer clients to that because I found that it kind of doesn't work. Um, so that's a lot. I, I've said a lot. Um, yes, you've said a lot. So I'm trying yeah. to, tra I track by writing notes. It's yes. also a tactile stim to help me yes. focus on you, but yes. I'll do my best to answer. Send them to me for the skills classes. That's what neurodiverse connections classes. I also have the fabulously Candace podcast, which is the sexiest podcast about neurodivergence. And my <laughs> colleague Mona Love has neurodiverse love podcast, where she talks a lot to partners of neurodivergent individuals because she was a partner of a late diagnosed autistic man and they didn't know until their 29th year of marriage and got divorced and now have a better relationship post-divorce because they know so so there's a there's a lot out there in terms of um support for partners and folks who are in a mixed neurotype relationship where partner may not be autistic or have a different type of neurodivergence, uh, but the spouse does. So let me just share, if you're looking for, as a clinician, if you're looking for a website to go to and your clients can look as well, embrace 
autism.com is Say that again brace phenomenal embrace e m embrace thank you embrace embrace hyphen autism.com thank you was done by two autistic individuals it is a phenomenal website that has a whole section a whole slew of assessments that if you want to sit and have your client take it with take the assessments with you mm-hmm. great you can you can you know say hey get on here and take this if you're curious because here's the thing there are a lot of autistic folks and even ADD ADHD folks you heard me say self-diagnose that are showing up now and starting to self-diagnose because so many well-meaning professionals neuropsychologists psychologists etc psychiatrists have these biases around what autism and the other types of neurodivergence look like and so what happens is there are too many people that, and I've had the experience, I've had so many people reach out to me with the experience where they go see someone who is supposedly trained to assess for adult autism, but they've only evaluated children. And so, I mean, horrific things like, well, you, I, it sounds like you want to be autistic, but you're not, I mean, things like that are being said. So that's one example of many, um, So there's a lot of us who have just said, you know what, I know what's going on with me. I've had decades of of being misdiagnosed, horrifying experience in therapy where things have happened. Often females who are autistic are diagnosed as borderline. Um, Males who are autistic are diagnosed as narcissistic, by the way, both borderline narcissism, antisocial, DID are environmental types of neurodivergence now. I don't want to blow people out of the water too much with the information that's out there. So I'll leave it at that. So I I want to say that really quickly, the challenges with intimacy and relationships, what can a partner expect? Here's the deal. There's two of you. If we're talking about just a monogamous relationship, two people in that relationship, a hundred percent of relationships have challenges. So do mixed neurotype couples. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it really is about what works for that couple in terms of communication agreements between the two, you know, and can both people be willing to understand each other? That's why I love the Gottman stuff with, with mixed neurotype couples, because it's concrete for those of us like me who need concrete. I love instructions. I love guidelines for many folks with different types of neurodivergence. We learn that way. We're very visual. We like to see it to learn. And there's also now the double empathy problem. The assumption that those of us that are autistic don't have empathy is bull, mm, fill in that blank. It's not true. We struggle, the research shows, with people who don't have our same brain. However, if I'm talking to one of my autistic peeps, I get them, they get me. I can have Mm -hmm. empathy. I can see their perspective. So with my partner, Chris, does it take, you know, us doing some work around understanding each other yes but are we able to do it if with practice yes but but the responsibility tends to fall on the autistic person to make the changes when folks it both people have to do it okay go ahead sorry almost like almost like you have two you know people that speak different languages in a relationship it's not like one person to learn the other person's language you both have to learn 
Spot on. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Spot on. Yeah. This it, it's this is what you're bringing to the to the relationship, and other people bring other things, but we're going to have to work on this together. Mm -hmm. hey, so one of the one of the the I assume stereotypes that that I have heard and that I've um, I've propagated probably whether it's correct or not um, around autism is people who are autistic are going to struggle with sort of understanding and reading other people's emotional experiences and 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 responses and are going to struggle to sort of understand the reactions that other people are having that are having more of an emotional base. Is that a stereotype that's inaccurate or well, does that play play yeah. in somehow? Well, sometimes, I mean, there's different things for, there's, there's um, a lengthy term for struggling to, to pick up a facial expression um, that I can't think of right now, but I will say that <clears throat> I'm really actually quite intuitive. And mm -hmm. a lot of folks that are autistic are as well. And sometimes we do struggle with, un well, sometimes we can struggle with understanding the intentions of others. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if I do at times, well, I do struggle with what's called alexithymia, meaning the definition of alexithymia is not being able to identify an emotion or name it. But here's the thing. I feel very, very strongly. I, I feel a lot of emotions very strongly. My autonomic nervous system is often quite dysregulated, as is the case for many autistic folks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we do feel things very strongly. The challenge, though, sometimes is how do we verbalize that? Yeah. So <laughs> if my partner says, <clears throat> if I'm in between sessions and he says, how are you? Worst question you could ask me first. I don't even know what he's, what are you, what are you even asking me? You know, I don't even know how to answer it. How, how am I? My stomach hurts. So I can describe bodily what's going on, but emotions wise, sometimes again, because I do feel this low level of anxiety all the time, it's a loaded question. So I love going back to what Dan said. It really is. I like to look at it as like autistic culture. I do speak a certain language. I'm, I, you know, again, very sensitive to my environment as are so many other autistic people. And we, we, there are things that we do understand and some of us, but, but it's not all like I can look at you and I, you know, I can make assumptions about how, what your face is saying right now, Tim, to me, mm -hmm. just like you could make assumptions about what my face is saying to you. Right. Right. And, and I like to not say spectrum. I like to say on a continuum, mm -hmm. because if each of us are diagnosed based on these traits, there's certain levels in which like, like, for instance, I might be able to tolerate the airport more than the person next to me that's also autistic, that's like, I can't. Now, I'm, I actually really struggle to tolerate an airport, meaning, okay, I'm, I'm sensory sensitive, but maybe it's not as intense in certain environments, or I can give eye contact longer or more than this person, or I can hold my body still versus this person that's rocking back and forth. Um, I, maybe I'm not as rigid as this person or vice versa, who's also autistic. So it's like, we're on a continuum with different traits that we have. Make sense? Yeah. yeah. And I will say, and, and in Nerdy Shine, Socially Inappropriate, just to give Cynthia Kim a little plug, great book. 
you know, they talk about how it's nonlinear. So if I'm more stressed out, my autistic traits actually look more exacerbated. Yeah. So I may struggle to like read you and, and I am rejection sensitive. So, so you're looking at me too, and I might be like, Oh, is he rejecting me? Right? Mm -hmm. Is he judging me right now? Whereas if I'm feeling more regulated, mm -hmm. then I might be able to go, yeah, he's just listening to me. So what, what question I'm, I'm curious about this, what, what question is more effective for you? So rather than saying, so Candace, how you doing? What's, how are what's you the, doing? Yeah. How are you doing? How's it going? Is different than how are you feeling? Ah, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because it's loaded. It's loaded. I mean, I could, yeah. and, and I, I'm going to go on and on. I'm going to give you literally a monologue of how I'm feeling. Uh huh. Right. And and some of you might say she's honest to a fault. Right. If we focus on the deficit lens of autism. Autistic folks, we are we are honest people, okay? And so I, I know that. I know when we're talking about betrayal, partners who are listening might be like, "Well, my autistic spouse is not honest; they lied." I I get that, and and when it comes down to it, we do say what's on our mind. We do say, "I am going to tell it like it is," and and the deficit lens will say, "You're honest to a fault," or you know, you're too direct and rude or con confrontational. It's like, okay, I get it. And can, if I reframe it, it's like, well, shouldn't the whole world be just honest period and yeah. just tell it like it is. Why is it okay to be honest in certain settings or honest to a point or honest, right. someone in the ethers created these social norms. And then those of us that don't fit in with that, because our brains are a little different, we're, we're othered and considered deficient. Mm -hmm. So I'm challenging that. Mm -hmm. yeah good I, <laughs> no, it's, I, it's, uh, right because i i mean yeah we want people to tell the truth the whole truth all the time so i appreciate that and I, yes i love that tim yes. well great point because we live in a society that doesn't like honesty when i post stuff on linkedin and it's the only social media forum i'm on I'm labeled as controversial when it's like, I'm literally just calling it like it is. Why? I think Tim's right. We live in a culture that really struggles with just honesty. No, you're, I hear what you're saying because there's, again, like that word of continuum, right? There's the, there's the, does the shirt look nice on me lie versus are you acting out lie? And there's different kinds of lies. Um, and an autistic person and, and if that's the right, correct term now, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm saying the right words, would not distinguish always between those two scenarios. And so would continue to say the full truth. That I, would... think, I think a human who is acting out is going to struggle with saying the truth. Yeah. So that's what I want all of you to think about. If you, because what happens a lot of times with therapists is you don't give yourselves enough credit first that if, if you wanted to be, go into a therapy session as a client and you, how do you want to be treated by your therapist? Of course. I think a lot of times people think, well, I, oh my gosh, I've got to have this certain way that I, you know, I, I work with someone who's autistic. Well, first of all, if you can show up with compassion and curiosity and openness with, and, and really just, gosh, I just want to learn about you. And, you know, I'm not autistic, but I'd love to learn about you then, then and you just really show up present and non-judgmental, you're going to get a lot farther. And I will absolutely endorse you. 
right? Yeah, you're because you're having compassionate engagement. Yeah, the fact that all of you want to know more about this gives you cred in my book. It's like the fact that you're asked, whenever I have a consultation with someone, I had a, a clinician who reached out to me that said, I need a consultation. And she is a phenomenal IFS therapist. And she was just talking exactly how I said, compassion and open. And she's worked so much with this client. And I just don't want to mess this up. Maybe I should refer him out. And I said, okay, <laughs> you've worked with him a long time. You're his person. He feels very safe with you. That will create a whole other level of trauma. What if you approach the subject of autism with him, if you're exploring him being autistic by say, focusing on his strengths? Yeah. Mm. Wow, you're really detail-oriented. And I noticed, gosh, you just love you know, cars and you talk so much about them and you, and she emailed and said, oh my gosh, the session went really well by focusing on his strengths related to his autism. It was just this beautiful process. He literally said, this is the first time I feel seen. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So I want to say to all of you, to the therapist listening, you know, this, that is ultimately what we're looking for. I did not have a neuropsychologist, psychologist, or psychiatrist formally diagnose me. It was a clinician, all like yourselves, who said to me, finally, after 40 years of misdiagnosis or whatever, 30 years, have you ever thought, wondered if you were autistic? Yes, <laughs> forever. And I've been told, no, no, because, because. Yeah. And then it was, I, I too felt seen, heard, known, and understood, right? How powerful. Yeah. yeah. And so, so is it Jeannie? Yes. Jeannie, okay. I didn't want to say Jean, but so Jeannie, when you said, you know, an autistic client, to me, that's, that, that's a beautiful way to say it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I personally don't like the words on the spectrum. It's like, look, I'm autistic. I don't have some disease. I'm not dying of cancer. My brain thinks in beautiful, creative ways. I do not have an MBA. I have an incredible internationally known treatment center that I like somehow have this business savvy. Why? Because of my autism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 For for those of you joining us or uh, still listening to us, this is conversations on sex addiction and relationships. And we're talking about autism and neurodiversity with Candace Christensen. And uh, so, so, so interesting. Resistance. Oh, oh Tim, can we go back to the, the that, that phrase that you sure. talked about? Um, well, yeah, resistance. So resistance is not unique to people who are autistic or neurodivergence. But, you know, goodness knows we all have that. But there is this dynamic that's, from what I understand, shows up sometimes with more energy or more oomph. Call and they refer to it as pathologic. Uh, it's a horrible term, pathological demand avoidance. So we're going to challenge it right now. That's a hideous term, isn't it? But, but it's a hideous term. But first it just starts with the word pathological. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, it's already in the bad basket. So okay. what I want to say though, Tim, you just what how you just said that was really beautiful. Just very sensitive. And all of you are just start. I'm I'm noticing that on the call. So I just want to say, get like, just beautiful. Here's there's an article I'm happy to send to the to the four of you, and just to have it out there, I share it with everyone. 
It's called persistent desire for autonomy. Mm -hmm. Persistent desire for autonomy. Mm -hmm. And that is the term that I use and others use instead of the ridiculous term pathological demand avoidance. Because do any of us on this you know, podcast want to be labeled that horrible name, term? No, persistent desire for autonomy is more accurate. And basically the reality is there is going to be serious anxiety and oftentimes trauma. And so there is this desire to be able to make decisions on a person's own. I want to, I want to be, you know, that there's a quick response sometimes for someone who has PDA in terms of persistent desire for autonomy to say no but as a therapist, if you can be curious about that part, I use IFS. So curious about that person and curious about that, that no, that, that resistance, if we're calling it that, and really see if you can tap into the, gosh, what are you afraid would happen if, you know, if you had to follow that schedule, if you had to take the garbage out at this time, if, if you had to do what this per your partner is saying, if you really could be curious about that, you're going to get to the heart of the issue around the core issue. You're going to get to the heart of the issue. So what does this term mean? The, you know, the pathological bad term. Well, I get pursuit yeah. autonomy. I mean, I'm like, okay, someone who wants to do things on their own yeah. through their experience. Yeah. But I hear resistance. And so I'm not connecting these. Yeah, two I love that you're saying that because the reality is, is, if we look at it from the lens of it's pathological demand avoidance, it's like there's this, this pushback, very close, you know, what people would say, again, if we're looking at it through this deficit lens, and I look at it through a trauma lens, but it's like, you're resistant, you're avoiding, there's, you know, when there's children that are doing it, but even adults there are meltdowns that are happening around it. There's a lot of no's, no, 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 a lot of pushback okay. whenever there's a request. I had a clinician who said, gosh, I'm working with a couple and the partner will just say, can you take out the garbages on Wednesday? No, 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 you can't make me. I, And so it's like what I, I just said, how I would approach it is, you know, wow, you know that, okay, I, I get that. You know, I can sense there's definitely, um, you, you know, you, you seem to not want to do that. Let's explore. What are you, what are you concerned would happen if you, you have to take out the garbages? You know, I'm so really the, curious about that. So I, in the expansion of the definition, what you're saying is this experience, whatever label we're using here is someone whose first reaction might be to say no. And, and to, and to, mm, I don't know, I, to I, my mind kind of put well, up the block. Wait, so, so I'm I, I, I think yeah. there's another. I'm curious because I've I've seen this. So, Candace, I I'm I'm. It's the no, but then ironically, it's the and I'm going to go off and do whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. So it's the two. It's no, I'm not going to um, take out the garbage. And oh, I think I'm going to go and read a book. I'm going to go play video games. I'm going to go play video games, which, mm -hmm. and, and I have so many partners who's like, mm -hmm. I can't stand this. Like, okay, he's not acting out anymore but he's not helping. He's not collaborative. There's not the collective experience. And not only is, is that there, but he just seems to want to go off and just do whatever he wants to do. And I don't understand. And I, want to clarify, I want to clarify that. I, I, I don't think that it always has to be with the 
the the very overt no. I I I think my experience is that sometimes it's like there's a request made and it's not a overt yeah. pushback. It's just a a slow roll of not doing it and yeah, there's getting avoidance. around there's to avoidance. it. Okay, yeah. so avoidance resistance. Yeah, so yeah, again. But if we look at it from this desire for autonomy, I would be so curious about, tell me about your, let's explore your upbringing. Let's ex explore childhood and some mm -hmm. will be able to go there, some not. But when, you know, when do you feel like you've had a voice and a choice in decisions that have been made in your whole life? Right. So, so looking, so exploring so, it from that lens, if that makes sure. sense. So, but, but, in, but I'm, I, so Candace, internally, can you, explain what's happening and it might might there might not be a generalization but i'm so curious like when the when the ask happens someone that's autistic what what happens inside well well per, a persistent desire for autonomy isn't necessarily a trait of all autistic people so um that's not like but I will say that for me, when I go into kind of these, I call it an automatic no with Chris, what's happening is I have these parts of me that are anxious at the unknown and I don't have enough information. So it causes me a lot of anxiety inside. Hmm. So if I don't have enough information um, with that, here's another piece, feeling out of control. Or like, you know, again, if I do, I do very well with rituals, routines, and schedules. And I know I have a hierarchy of, um, it's a hierarchy for neurodivergent individuals and in sexual recovery. And the base is really looking at sensory, their one sensory profile. The second is schedule routines, mm -hmm. right? And structure. That's really, really important for a lot of humans and for a lot of autistic people. So if I, and if I had a plan that this is what I'm going to do with my schedule, and then you're asking me to do this and it's off the plan, this doesn't fit in with my schedule. Mm -hmm. Again, that can cause a, this sensory overwhelm, a lot of sensory overwhelm. Now, what I want to say is that Many adults who are autistic, we have learned to quote adapt to our environments because we live in a neuro, a neuro insensitive culture that has ways of doing things that aren't really neuro inclusive or sensitive. It doesn't mean we like it though. So in our relationships, mm -hmm. we might be able to go to work and do this and say that you seem to adapt at work. Why can you do that? But why you come home? Why can't you do this? Right? Does that make sense? So it's like, for me, what's going on internally, I'm just me though. I'm one autistic person. The next person that you meet, your clients might say, no, that what Candace said doesn't relate to me. We each present a little differently. So it may or may not, you know, apply. A lot of people say what I have said does, but some may not. But for me, it's like, if there's a change in the schedule or I don't have enough information, or I had this plan in my head of how this is going to go. And then you're throwing this at me it causes me great anxiety and I, I will say no. And now I can say, Chris and I have my partner, Chris. Um, if you go to the ITOP conference, you'll meet him. So we have worked a lot together in how we communicate. So I'm not the project to be fixed anymore. It's a two-way street. We're working together mm -hmm. 
to understand each other because he also gets anxious if if I change the schedule mm. on him. It's really, it ends up coming down to, can we understand what is going on for each of us to be patient enough, same with your clients, to understand. But if you have a couple you're working with and the partner, I'm so frustrated, I can't even ask him to do this or he's slowly avoiding every day. You, Someone who's neurosensitive needs to work with that autistic person or maybe they're not autistic, they just have a persistent desire for autonomy where do you feel like you have a voice and a choice? Where do you feel like you never had it? And how can we work with you on updating to know that you're, you survived your childhood in this relationship? This gets to be what it looks like. So as you're talking about this, Candace, and I don't know that this, this fits, but what I'm sort of visualizing in my head is that we're not talking about a separate spectrum or a separate continuum it 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 feels much more like there's this whole continuum that goes all the way from what we would consider neurotypical down to sort of severe autism and people fall on there somewhere else or somewhere along that continuum and so like with the i really like your term but although i don't forget it the, the persistent need for autonomy or whatever we're calling that when you talk about trauma and anxiety what I'm hearing is that if somebody is further along that continuum towards the autistic side, that the way that that trauma is going to land for them and is going to going to live in their body and in their consciousness for them and the reactions that they're going to have to them are going to make that resistance be a little bit more stuck in the mud than somebody who's a little closer to what we would consider the neurotypical side, even though it may still show up with the resistance. Does that is it, is it, does it fit that this is like one big continuum we're talking about? No. And I say that with love. Okay. I'm saying that it's to you taken with love and compassion, Tim. But, <laughs> Go ahead. But here's the thing. No. <laughs> this is where functional labels cause harm because there is no low, medium or high functioning autism. And there it's about support needs. I, I can manage, I, well, I, I have Meg and Chris here at, at Namaste at our business because I can't manage everything. I do have soft spots. I do have support needs. So what I want to say is I present as quote high functioning, which limits the support I get from professionals who make a, a just a judgment mm. because I look a certain way. So we do not look at it. Those of us who are here in the movement, neurodiversity movement, we look at it based on support needs. I have specific support needs and you all are going to see it on a 40 minute call with me. But when I, I have to, Chris helps me call doctors to make doctor's appointments. I have severe anxiety around that. He has to go with me. It, it is something that I really, really struggle with, but I, I can have a really successful business, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm high or low functioning. It's like, it's just, I have different support needs wow. than maybe Tim, your client does. They'll have mm -hmm. different support needs than me. And maybe, you know, someone that's nonverbal, nonverbal autistic might actually be doing better in some areas and have less support needs than I do, even though I'm verbal and autistic. So we could, I would love to come on again because we could talk. There's so much about autism, yes. so many misconceptions and misunderstandings. Yeah. And it's not like, not like, you know, it's like light pink and then pink and then dark red and maroon. No, 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 no. It's all the colors on the, the rainbow. 
that's autism. And then we're looking at traits, traits throughout that. It's so we are looking at it in that, in that way. And it's not about low, low functioning or severe autism. It's not like that at all. It's not. That's really helpful. That, that idea that it's, that we're not like talking about one big continuum, but what, what's most helpful is to look at it as about what are the support needs that each individual Mm -hmm. needs. Thank you so much. That, that's Which, that's really helpful. Yeah. One more thing yeah. I want I wanted to say, Candice. So you know, just for those of us, you talked about horror stories that that you that you and your clients have experienced with therapists. You've mentioned a couple really beautiful things today that I heard. One was a, a, a therapist coming from an approach of curiosity and focusing mm-hmm. on strengths rather than deficits. I've heard those those couple things. Are there anything for for those of us that want to do the best thing for our clients and not not have these blind spots or pitfalls? Anything else you'd recommend for us to to be more inclusive of neurodivergence that we can be better supports for our clients? Yeah, if you have autistic clients that you know they know you're they're autistic, make sure that if they're in your off in your office that you have stim toys that you offer like soft lighting. Hey, you know how are the lights? Before we get started, I want you just to kind of get acclimated. Would you like some water? I've got these little fidget toys. I love this one. Do you want to try it out? I've also got this crystal, but it's like offering those I think we forget we have the client sit down and then we go well I don't have that type of brain (laughs) I need to transition into a room because it's an environment it's a change in the environment and so again I we need to be aware of our autistic clients sensory needs and let them come into the room and just settle in so that's that's another thing but thank you for pointing out what you said about the strengths and you know, being curious and compassionate. And please, please, please start doing that. Do you, I have a weighted blanket. Would you like to have that? Yeah. They're, so that they know, because a lot of us, until someone says, do you like me to dim the lights? Aren't aware of how bright the world is yeah. because we've just adapted. And do we have to keep adapting or could the world adapt a little more to us? When COVID happened, yes, awful, I get it. But for me, as an autistic person, love the quiet. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love the quiet. I, I just don't think as humans, we can handle so much sensory overload all the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just 10 times worse. And so if we can just be sensitive to that, oh my gosh, in your sessions, so helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I want to thank Candice and I want to thank all of our listeners and viewers today. Um, This is Conversations on Sex Addiction Relationships. If you like this podcast uh, video cast, please share it on your social media outlets and, um, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks.